To a special episode of Megaton Marathon. I'm Paul M. Davis, and I am joined by. Uh, I'm Elisa James. How's everyone doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Elisa? I'm good, thank you. The reason that this episode is so special is that we are finally taking on Persona 5 Royal. Uh, many years ago, <laughs> Megaton <laughs> Marathon <laughs> did probably about a year's worth of content about Persona 5. And our approach was, it was uh, divisive among the listeners. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is a little bit of a do-over and the fact that we get to come back and talk about Persona 5 again, but also... We are going to be talking about the third trimester, all the changes that have been brought to the updated version of the game. And, you know, we're, there's a lot to the cover. So it's good. Bear with us because it's going to be a little loose, probably. But, um, yeah, excited to talk about it. So before we get started, this is your major spoiler warning for both the base Persona 5 game and all of Persona 5 Royal leading up to the end of the third semester. I keep Do I keep on saying third trimester? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Someone had a kid a couple years ago. <laughs> leading up to the third semester. So yeah, this is your spoiler warning. If you have not finished the game, then... You probably want to take a break and come back to this later. How about we start out with just a kind of recap of what the base story of Persona 5 is. Elisa? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Okay. So yeah, after saving a woman from an attack by a uh, drunk man, the uh, protagonist, who we know as Joker, finds himself falsely accused of assault. He's expelled from a school and he's sent to Tokyo to begin enrollment at uh, Shujin Academy during uh, his year-long probation. He meets up with his new guardian, Sojira Sakura, a family friend who owns the LeBlanc Cafe in Yogenjaya, and he prepares for his new life. However, while he's traveling to his new accommodation, he notices a strange app on his phone. He encounters a man named Igor and twins named Justine and Caroline in the Velvet Room during a dream. And uh, Igor basically warns Joker about uh, focusing on rehabilitation or uh, disaster will strike. This is your classic persona introduction to the Velvet Room scene. Pretty much, yeah. So um, the this app, which has the nickname of the MetaNav or the Metaverse Navigator, brings him to the supernatural reality called the Metaverse, and he discovers. Oh, it also oh sorry, it also okay. has a really badass icon. <laughs> it does. No, it's true. It's it actually looks really cool. <laughs> he discovers the palace, which are locations that serve as physical manifestations of a person's disordered desires. 
And this palace of uh, Shujin's physically and sexually abusive volleyball coast, Suguru Kamashida. He ends up dragging in Ryuji Sakamoto, a skull, and and the two meet up with Morgana, who's known as Mona later on, because they have to adopt like these sort of nicknames while they're in the metaverse. So Morgana is a mysterious and amnesiac cat burglar, like literally. He's also a cat. Yeah, literally a cat burglar. <laughs> So Anta Takamaki, a panther, is also dragged in, and the three eventually defeat the manifestation of Kamoshida's desires, resulting in his change of heart and eventual confession. Yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned it, but yeah, Anne is really like the target of uh, Kamoshida's uh, perversions. Yeah, yeah, um, big time. Along with her uh, best friend, of course, Shiho, mm-hmm. but it's also stated that Shiho was a sort of collateral to Kamoshida's like main targeting on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the newly formed Phantom Thieves begin entering into other palaces to reform corrupt adults and gain party members. You've got a uh, Yusuke Kitagawa who's uh, goes by Fox. You've got uh, Eternal Waifu uh, Makoto Njima, <laughs> Queen, who goes by Queen. And Futaba Sakura, who goes by Oracle, and she's like a cool hacker um, <laughs> type. Though all of their heists are successful, they soon start to hear rumors of a dangerous persona user with a black mask who's running around palaces and killing cognitive beings. The group realizes this black mask figure is responsible for the mysterious mental shutdowns plaguing Tokyo. And there's like a scene early on where the drivers of uh, the train have a mental shutdown. There's this huge wreck and it's just like really fucking things up all over the city. Exactly. Meanwhile, the police and local authorities are on edge trying to capture the elusive Phantom Thieves. Public prosecutor Saya Nijima, who's uh, Makoto's uh, older sister, is put on the case to arrest the thieves. While high school's detective Goro Akechi publicly denounces the thieves, calling them unjust. And then he ends up, of course, uh, working with uh, Sae in the police department to try to apprehend uh, the phantom thieves. Mm-hmm. So the group is approached by Akechi, and he reveals that he knows their true identities, and he offers them a deal. Basically, let him help, let him help them get the police off their back by changing a Saeed... Saiya Najima's heart in exchange for the disbandment of the thieves. The thieves agree to his deal, head to uh, Saiya's palace and steal her treasure. However, as they attempt to escape, Joker is caught and arrested by police officers. In the real world, Joker is seemingly killed by Akechi, who reveals himself as being the Black Mask. With Saiya's and the rest of the Phantom Thieves' help, Joker actually tricks Akechi and the authorities, and he escapes. So, upon escaping, the thieves decide to go after politician uh, Masayoshi Shido, the man at the center of the shutdowns, breakdowns, and as they soon discover, Joker's arrest. Uh, Because it turns out he was the drunk guy attacking the woman who Joker stopped when he intervened, and that's why Joker's life quickly went to shambles, because Shido essentially used his 
political reach to get him expelled and force him to transfer schools and everything. And also, of course, get him arrested for assault and all that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything other than Shido. I feel like she is Shido's, like, the ultimate antagonist of the game. Yeah. Obviously, that kind of changes a little bit later, which we'll talk <laughs> about later. And yeah. I have an issue with it. But, you know, I think it's also interesting, without getting into Japanese politics too much, that Shido is definitely a stand-in for the uh, far-right movement in uh, Japanese politics in recent years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, basically, as they investigate Shido's palace, they are stopped by Akechi once again, who reveals himself as Shido's illegitimate son and divulges his plan to enact revenge upon his father after years of neglect. However, Shido knew... And I will talk about this later, but... <laughs> she knew about Akechi's existence anyway, and so he had sent a cognitive Akechi inside his own palace to kill his real son. So Akechi sacrifices himself to save the thieves, though Joker promises not to forget him. Yeah, so the thieves successfully changed Shido's heart. However, even after he admits to his corruption, the general public remains uninterested in his wrongdoings. And yeah, I think that's... A, very kind of accurate portrayal of the way a popular politician can get away with about anything. Morgana suggests one more infiltration into Mementos, which is the palace that houses society's collective consciousness. As the thieves attempt to steal the treasure, which is the Holy Grail, they're forced out when society rejects them, preferring to live in a society where they have no autonomy. And so the, once the group is kicked out, they watch as mementos and the real world fuse before their eyes and the group ends up fading, slowly fades away because they're slowly forgotten by the public. Joker wakes up in the velvet room and the twins, after speaking with him and remembering their true selves, fuse into Lavenza, who reveals that Igor is actually uh, Yalda Baalth, the god of control. Uh, Joker then reaches out to the phantom thieves who are like trapped in different areas of the, of the, of the velvet room. And he helps to recover their memories and their purpose. Then once they've gathered together, they confront, uh, Yalda Baalth again and eventually defeat him. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. And then you have a killer closing scene where uh, your buddies pick you up in a in a Scooby Doo van and <laughs> drive off into the <laughs> drive off into the distance. At least that's how the original game ended. Yeah. Um, the... but, yeah. So that's a good overview of you know was and continues to be.
so I think now we're going to go into just what the major changes have been, both mm-hmm. in gameplay and mechanics. The palaces have been overhauled in really significant ways. You notice that at first in the prologue sequence at Seiya Najima's Casino, which now has an additional tutorial sequence that shows the player how to use the grappling hook, which is a new addition to the uh, palaces. And it makes the palaces, like movement around the palaces, feel a lot more satisfying, a lot faster. Yeah. It just really improves the gameplay. Let's see. Morgana gives you a few starter items and infiltration tools when he officially infiltrates Kamashita's palace for the first time after April 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, you can now loot nearby treasure chests and breakable objects while you're in cover because one of the mechanics that you had in the previous version that has held over is the ability to just like crouch and hide from phantoms. And at the time that was like probably the most dynamic, like action based sort of gameplay in the, in the palaces. And now that they've added the, the grappling hug, it gives you a lot more verbs and <laughs> yeah, it makes everything just more dynamic. Um, yeah, and it cuts out a lot of the drag, honestly, in mm-hmm. the palaces. I had to do a lot of running around and backtracking and such. And the uh, the grappling hooks really just cut away at almost all of that and it makes the exploration way more seamless. It just works really well for, for the palaces. Yeah, because there's so many palaces that are really cool. And then what, by the time you hit your, like, th- or like in the original game, once you hit your, like, fifth hour of playing them, you're like, oh my God, all right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is a very welcome change. Treasure chests now make a uh, glittery sound effect to let you know the ones nearby. There's new uh, audio and visual effects on safe room doors that uh, make them more obvious. Uh, A lot of the puzzles have been modified. Some new ones have been added. Some of the puzzles have been simplified. And other ones have just been changed to just be more interesting, I would say. The grappling hook also allows you to access new areas and palaces where uh, you couldn't get to in the previous game. There's hidden pathways and treasure. There's new collectibles called will seeds that can be found in each palace. Finding one restores a little bit of SP to the party. And finding all three of a palace's will seeds rewards the player with a unique accessory. And then some of the boss battles have been changed around. Some have additional dialogue and stages. Kamashita and Amura are a standout, while others have been just completely overhauled like uh, Madarame and uh, Kanashiro's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually pretty interesting because they addressed like a lot of issues with those boss battles. Like with Kamoshida, for instance, it actually included the cognitions of, of a Shiho and the other, it was other high schooler who was also physically abused by Kamoshida and the boss battle adds more dialogue. It actually adds them as cognitions and so they actually have a stage that when you deal with them and especially with Shiho where you have to make like a decision whether you're going to attack her directly or ignore her 
and going for Kamoshida. It's just, it's, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. O- Okumura, he also had later on in the boss battle, it adds on Cognition Haru because it's addressing the fact that this is his daughter. She should play a role in his palace. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really weird. She's like a weird omission in the original game. And it's strange because she's like running the damn company for him. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if they have a have a shitty relationship, like they do have a relationship and it's not it, really acknowledged. Exactly. And the game did try to explain it away saying, Oh, he doesn't she doesn't matter to him in a meaningful way. It's she still matters to him, it's just not in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like he still wants to just use but we saw we see that in the cognition horror where it's like he wants a daughter who's gonna be obedient and his right hand essentially and just like work with him perfectly so mm-hmm. that, was, that was interesting and then other bosses were almost completely overhauled like Madarame, for instance and originally you had that whole like basic sort of loop where you took out the paintings like faces and then you fought all the shadow uh, Madarame, and then you kept redoing it and then this one once you beat the paintings, it actually goes into a brand new stage in which you fight several different forms of Madarame with each of their like strengths and weaknesses. So you have to be very careful in how you target each one. You can't use like all uh, full moves that like attack all enemies at once. You have to mm-hmm. really be precise in who you target. And then Kaneshiro was also quite a bit of it was over they actually made that whole spinning piggy bank form much more dangerous because it actually loops like it doesn't happen just once and that's it like it's a reoccurring threat so it actually makes that choice important of whether you're going to sacrifice a valuable item so you can like get rid of that form or if you're going to keep dealing with his strongest attacks so it pisses me off so much Exactly. So it was. It was actually. So the the boss overalls were actually pretty good too. Also with Shido too, it also added in something special with him. Like you get a one on one battle between him, the protagonist. It was like a bunch of cool stuff that they did add to that. So mm-hmm. I I really liked that a lot. So the the Velvet Room also had some changes. More Persona were added, of course. Some Persona have had the Arcana changed. Because there's the addition of new Arcana, thanks to the two new social links that we get. My social links, confidence. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Confidence. No, <laughs> and then after you officially infiltrated Kamoshida's palace for the first time, you'll be able to access challenge battles in the Velvet Room by speaking to Justine. So challenge battles allow you to earn rewards through battles that focus on specific mechanics like baton passes or technical damage, battles that test your endurance, or battles with Persona users from uh, previous games. So it's a pretty cool addition. Mm-hmm. The problem is that you get one of them for free, and then after that, it's all DLC, all of it. So <laughs> super lame. It is. But, so I completely ignored it. Like I, yeah. I don't care about DLC and games like that. So when I saw that the battle, the challenge battles of paywalled, I just like, it literally faded away from my mind. So I'm not cool paying for uh, DLC 
in a game that I bought that I've not bought, now bought twice. Like, <laughs> exactly. Let me just put it that way. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember. Was this also a new addition to Persona Five Royal? It was. It's how in um, the Velvet Room it allows you to fuse Persona, borrowing other people's personas. Like when you connect to the internet. And you can actually borrow other people's personas, like from their own teams, and then use it to fuse with your own. And it gives you access to that. Because I don't remember I if that was the original. I think that's Doom. Okay. Because that's a real. I actually like that feature a lot, too. It's a lot yeah, of that's, fun. Yeah, that is a cool feature. I think that's Doom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's another one, too. And I think Velvet Room's also added the whole, the red alarm, I believe. Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. 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 Basically, what happens is that randomly when you're navigating a palace, you'll get like a sort of warning from Justina Caroline, and they'll let you know that there's an alarm going on in the Velvet Room. If you go in, what the alarm does is that when you fuse a persona under an alarm, it gives that persona extra bonuses, like to their stats and like other benefits and stuff. It's a good, if you want to make a certain persona, good idea to fuse them under alarm. The only mm-hmm. though is that once you start fusing under an alarm, it significantly raises your chances of a fusion accident after that. So sometimes this can be good. If you're trying to get one of those rare persona that you can only make under a fusion accident, you can time it and use the alarm to actually raise the chances of getting that persona. So it's actually yeah. a really cool system with that once you and like the alarms occur, you know, fairly often. So you'll have multiple chances to do this per light palace. Yeah, it makes it less random. Exactly. And then, of course, um, once you fuse, once you get a fusion accident, you get booted out of the palace because now they have to repair the guillotine. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's actually a scene is, well, it's the scene where the guillotine's broken and they break out a chainsaw. So, (laughs) (laughs) I still love all that stuff with the guillotine and the. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Twins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me too. So yeah, so I, that's how they um, control it. But it's a it's a pretty cool like extra feature. One that if you're not really interested in, you can always ignore or just use the alarm once to boost the persona fusion and then just leave it afterwards and it's no big deal at all. But yeah, so the Velvet had some pretty cool stuff added to that. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the combat, guns now replenish... Uh, Guns now replenish all ammo after each fight, and the rationale behind that, according to Morgana, is that shadows will be expecting to you to come at them fully loaded. The gun tutorial fight in Kamashido's palace now has a second encounter to show off this new change. Baton passes are no longer linked to confidant ranks, and can be used as soon as 418. Performing a baton pass four times in a row will now allow the final party member to use a skill without consuming any SP or HP. Enemies in each encounter seem to be less homogenous than in the base game, possibly to encourage the player to take advantage of uh, baton passes so you don't get quite as many, like, just posses of the same phantoms coming up on you. There's a new variation of regular enemies called Savage Enemies that have to be damaged somewhat before the player can perform a uh, holdup. And then there's an entirely new type of enemy 
called Disaster Shadows that will only counterattack if attacked by the player first. They can also occasionally perform follow-up attacks. Upon death, they drop an item and explode, damaging any other shadows in the area. The amount of collateral damage that they do is based on the amount of overflow damage that's done to them by the player when they die. If they die due to reflected damage or despair, they will not explode or drop any items. If you ask a shadow to join you, you get extra experience to the persona already in your stock. Asking a shadow you already have will usually yield better rewards. And uh, shadows in your compendium, but not your stock, will ask to join you first before uh, giving you money or items. And uh, items that you gain through negotiation vary from enemy to enemy. And that's not unlikely, unusual for a Persona or SMT game. But uh, they've fixed common and rare drops. So a common drop would be something like a lifestone. A rare drop might be like a balm of life. And uh, these can also now be uh, stolen using Joker's pickpocket ability from once he reaches uh, rank five. Yeah, and uh, the magician. So that would be, uh, that's under Morgana. Bye-bye. have our new characters slash confidants to the game. We have Kasumi Yoshizawa, an accomplished young gymnast who enrolls in Shujin Academy around the same time as the protagonist. She's a great admirer of the protagonist and one of the few people in school who treats him kindly. Though not an official phantom thief at first, she briefly assists the party. She wears a black mask and wields rapiers and rifles in battle. So then we have Takto Maruki, a part-time school counselor and researcher of cognitive science who enters Shujin Academy following Kamoshida's arrest. He is a genuine, understanding person and always helps students whenever needed, being among one of the more popular members of the school facility. He's one of the protagonist's new confidants in the story. And yeah, he's a pretty interesting addition. We'll get into it, but he's a pretty interesting addition. He is actually. I really enjoy him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Jose, or I think the game says Jose. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> a mysterious young boy who researches humans and helps the Phantom Thieves and Mementos. Flowers and star stamps can be collected in Mementos, and the protagonist can trade these items with 
Jose in his shop. Flowers are traded for items, and star stamps allow him to change Memento's cognition, improving the rate at which rewards are given, such as experience, money, and items. He can also turn will seeds into more powerful accessories with unique skills that greatly aid battle. He's also one of the hardest optional bosses in the game. So, the player will need to collect 123 stamps scattered around Mementos. And once you've done this, you head over to the Cognition Control Room, speak to him. He'll mention how he's stuck in his progress understanding humans, and he'll challenge the player to a fight to help him. And Did you do this fight? I did not. But I Actually, I'm trying to... No, I didn't. I don't think I ever got a chance to do this fight. I need to actually go back, though, because I have an older save file. But I, I got focused on trying to get the third semester, and then I was like, oh, no. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I forgot. Sorry, sorry, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just not that much of a uh, completionist. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna. I'm definitely going to try it, though. Cause I'm not either, but I do want to try to fight him at least. <laughs> Because I really like him, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Last is Akechi, unlike in the original P5, in which his confidant progresses automatically. And P5R, his confidant has been completely overhauled. And you progress it like you would any normal confidant. And you mainly meet up with him through the brand new area, Kichijoji. So I think you first start meeting up with him at the jazz club. And then occasionally it might move around to like other parts. So that's actually how they attach him. So his, along with Kasumi and Maruki's confidants, are required to be completed in order to access the third semester. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot more natural how they, they don't force you into being a confidant with him. So doesn't tip its hat, its hand <laughs> quite as much. Exactly. As, as it did in the original game. Yeah, which is what I like too, because then it, when you do actually do a social link, it's more of a punch later, like in terms of who he turns out to be since you chose to hang out with him and he's this. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so a little bit more of the bonus content. Uh, I just mentioned Kichi Joji, which is based on the real life equivalent located in Tokyo. It's the big new area added to Persona 5 Royale. Filled with food stalls, stores, temple, jazz club, and also like a nightclub that offers pools and darts. So the darts mini game is how they actually completely overhauled and reworked the baton pass system. What they do is they have a new technical uh, rank mechanic. So as you gain levels, basically what you do is you choose... Uh, characters you're going to partner with when you play darts and the characters who you partner with depending on how well you do you'll rank up a level with them i believe up to rank three and that'll improve your technical rank which raises the effects of the baton pass so it'll give you more benefits more hp and mp restored and like other little passive benefits as well so it's actually a really cool system one darts is so much fun. I played it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I love, love the mini game. And it's almost a little taste of uh, Yakuza in uh, your uh, persona. 
<laughs> it, it is actually. I think it works similarly too. Like not the same, but I think it's similar. Like same thing. It reminds me of how the the, the cage like uh, baseball mini game was like the one in Yakuza. So yeah. So this, but it's a lot of fun. And then the other bonus content, which I also love, is the Thieves Den, which is alternate space. I believe somewhere it's like related to to mementos in like the way like being a part of the human consciousness like that's actually how Morgana explains it in game so I was mm-hmm. shocked that they did that and so that the party can inhabit this space and hang out there are tons of collectibles songs artwork etc that you could purchase within the thieves den. A currency which is called P coins, and you either gain P coins as the game progresses, and you like gain certain achievements in the game, which is another collectible. You'll gain P coins, or you can win P coins through Tycoon, which is the brand new card game. And also, my other favorite thing ever, like this. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is. I love this game. And it's it's so cool how much like effort they put into it because the main characters like actually have little voice lines that they say as you're playing and like as different things are occurring in the game. It's so cool. Let me see if I'm trying to remember the exact premise. So basically the idea is that you have different ranks in Tycoon. Which ranged from being like the bottom. I forgot what the name was. It was like, I don't want to say it's broke, but it was like bankrupt <laughs> or something. Right. <laughs> and then it moves up to the highest rank, which is Tycoon. And once you're Tycoon, you're now, you're now number one ranked. But if you don't win that next round, you go back to the lowest rank. So you're like having to try to fight your way up to the highest and then maintain it. And it's it, it can be a bloodbath, especially when you start doing the higher difficulties, which I did. Like, they're ruthless. <laughs> I didn't get super deep into it, but I did like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's so much fun. And, I, yeah, I just really love how, like, they have, like, the voice lines for the characters and everything. So it really feels like you're actually playing at, with these characters as well. And that was really cool. The only thing I wish is that you had a multiplayer option. So you could play with other people online. And like actually the Thieves Den itself would have been so cool if you could attach it to PlayStation Network. Imagine you have other players mm-hmm. roaming around your den and you get to do like fun stuff with them. You could play like Tycoon or other like that would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would have been really cool. Yeah. It's too bad the multiplayer content in both the base game and this one are very limited, but I don't know. Maybe in the next one, we'll get something a little more sophisticated. Yeah, hopefully. Like, they see the value more in a little of the multiplayer content. Oh, God. I just got an image of a... We never got a Persona 6, but we got a Persona MMO. That could be the other side of it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking... Because we do have Shin Megami Tensei Imagine, so... But, yeah, I couldn't imagine just a Persona one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, conceptually, it could work. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a big MMO MMO guy, so... Yeah, me neither. I hope that's not the way that it goes. (laughs) So, yeah, should we talk about the, the third semester? The really big deal here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
So at the end of the original Persona 5, Joker and the team defeated uh, Yaldabaoth, who was a god of control, and they uh, saved humanity from unthinking servitude. However, once uh, you enter the third semester in Persona 5 Royal, your, your good buddy, the counselor, and a secret Persona user, uh, Takuto uh, Maruki, he decides to take a role of a uh, godlike figure, replacing uh, Yaldabaoth's place, and uh, he believes himself to be a savior of humanity. Uh, Maruki's power is vaguely explained. It's like he can alter a person's... He can basically alter a person's cognition and warp reality to his uh, will, but it's not very clearly illustrated, I'd say. Yeah. So the first figure that he helps is uh, Kasumi uh, Yoshizawa. And it turns out that she has a secret and a somewhat convoluted backstory. So get ready for this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Man. Fact is, she's uh, not actually uh, Kasumi. Prior to the events of uh, Persona 5 Royal, there were twin sisters, Kasumi and Samiri Yoshizawa. While Kasumi ascended to fame and glory in the world of gymnastics, the younger twin lived in her, uh, tw- lifted in her sister's shadow. One day, Samiri uh, attempted suicide by running into a busy road. She was saved by Kasumi, who uh, then took a fatal hit from a car and ultimately died. Racked with guilt, Samiri begged Maruki to help her. He changed her cognition to believe that she was actually Kasumi. And so, yeah, this character that we've had around for most of the game is not who we actually thought she was. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting because it's like uh, Yadavoth being uh, defeated. Maruk, he really seems like he wants to, like do good for all of mankind. But it's still like an act of like ultimate hubris, taking it upon himself to save mankind and what his image of it is. Yeah. And so he creates what's basically an alternate reality the protagonist unknowingly awakens in after the god with Yaldabaoth. And it's one in which basically the Phantom Thief has has the reality that they desire. So everybody's like kind of gotten their... Their greatest wishes. It's, it's like Fantasy Island here or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smaruki had counseled each of the phantom thieves that attended Shujin Academy. He naturally knew what they longed for. Shuji wanted to be back on the track team, while Haru wished for her father to still be alive, for example. So you spend the first portion of the third semester just trying to convince your fellow phantom, phantom thieves that they're all living in a fake reality that only uh, the protagonist is aware of. So you visit each member one by one, trying to convince them, including Morgana, who uh, has followed in the persona tradition of mascot characters turning into creepy young guys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Why did they have to do this? I Why? Know. <laughs> we didn't need another teddy. I know. And then it's, he's a worse teddy, and it's just they just make it so obvious. <sighs> <laughs> I think we've talked about in the past like how uh real cat Morgana is preferable to mascot character Morgana. Yes. And 
<laughs> that that gulf between how much real cat is better than mascot Morgana Morgana is the gulf between mascot Morgana and uh creepy dude Morgana. I know exactly. That's exact and it just made me wish like we, we actually just had a cute real cat instead. It was like why can why could we emulate P three with the cute dog? I know. Why do we, why why do they, why does he have to be a mascot? And, why, <laughs> and especially why does he have to be a creepy dude? Come on. Exactly. Like at least if you had to do this, you could have given him a different personality. It'd have been cute. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, some of the characters are uh, a lot more resistant than others to go along with your whole, the whole reality is the cake is a lie and the reality <laughs> that you're living in is actually fake. Understandably, uh, Futaba is one of them because she's been able to connect with her uh, formerly deceased mother. Other ones believe you a little more easily. Um, yeah. Also, somehow, Akechi is still alive, and he's become an ally to Joker. And I think this only really makes sense if you think about the fact that Akechi... So if this is like a fantasy world, yeah, Akechi kind of wanted to be Joker. Oh, that's true. In a way. Like, despite his resentments, that's the only way that I can make sense of why he's here and why he's like your only ally who knows like what is going on. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good point. I like that a lot. I don't know. I just came up with that, but that's the only way it makes sense to me. Uh, Yeah. And he offers to turn himself in and testify against the corrupt Shido. And he wants to help Joker resist the uh, false reality that they're all living in. After this, you're faced with choosing one of three main endings to Persona 5 Royale. The first one is the bad ending. So Maruki gives you a deadline of February 3rd to conquer his palace and steal his heart. Fail at this and you'll get the clearly bad ending. You live out the remaining years in the false reality that Maruki has created. It's implied that Maruki makes Joker forget that they were ever in a fake reality to begin with. You don't oh see- yeah, we we forgot to mention that the new palace for the third semester is palace. It's actually a pretty. It's pretty cool, actually. I like the design a lot. So basically, makes he makes Joker forget that they were ever in a fake reality to begin with, and you don't see the other Phantom Thieves in this ending. You only get a short conversation with Maruki where he wishes you peace in this new world before you fall asleep in your bed above Cafe LeBlanc. So the next up, the fake reality ending. This one is similar, but it gives the protagonist agency. 
After confronting Maruki, the protagonist accepts his offer to stay in the current reality, submitting to the false reality and forgetting about the true reality forever. In the newly created world by Maruki, the protagonist, An, Ryuji, and Makoto all graduate from Shujin Academy. So, uh, Sojiro offers the protagonist the chance to stay on at Cafe LeBlanc and live with himself and Futaba after the year is done, which you have the opportunity to accept. In this ending, everyone gets what they desire. Taba gets to live with her mom. Makoto gets her dad back. Yusuke has a faithful sensei in Madarama. Madarame, excuse me. Haru operates the family business with her father. An maintains a close friendship with Shiho. Sumire lives her life as Kasumi. Maruki completes his research on cognition. And Morgana becomes a real boy. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, Maybe we'll get a spinoff where him and Teddy go off and uh, perv out a dating simulator or something. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so um, at least the the characters are able to choose to live in their false reality. Also, what's interesting about this ending is that it sounds like a. It sounds like a, a warped happy ending, but the problem is that it's heavily implied that Maruki cannot sustain this reality forever. So basically, this reality is going to end, and mm. the protagonist is the only one aware. So he's fully, in this ending, he's fully aware of the choice that he made, that this is a fake reality, which actually gives like the scene when they're all taking a group picture that's really creepy like undertone to it because like he doesn't look very happy it feels and then the fact that it has to be weighing on him that he knows that it every it's gonna like the world is gonna end eventually everyone's gonna die because Mm. of this choice that he made so it's a really good ending actually i love how creepy it was (laughs) yeah yeah it's got a lot of kind of like naughty kind of philosophical things to play with too where you're like wondering Yes. Would you take the false ending? Would would you buy into happiness if it's false? And you know that's not nothing like too original. Like in fiction, there's plenty of pieces of fiction that do that, but it's really well executed. I thought it is. Yeah, and I'm always a big fan of uh, this trope, which I think is called the lotus eating machine. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I believe because that's that was an it was coined from the short story where it first made its appearance. But yeah, I'm a big fan of this trope. Like I love it, and and yeah, when it's well executed, like it is here, it's such a great trope because it kind of it goes off the thing when if you're doing you're going for the true ending and Joker's trying to awaken everyone, and you get that sense of like incredible pain because. They have to separate themselves from their happiest reality, like forcibly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, and the, that realization that the world they're in is fake and that they have to leave it, that's like one of my favorite parts of it. And they really do that here as well. And then some characters, it's so painful because you have people like Futaba, like who just wants her mom back. Like her life just went like horribly after that. Yusuke was really screwed up after his sensei turned out to be uh, a fake because he's already poor and then it just messed him up even more. And Makoto and Haru, they lost their fathers as well. It was just kind of like, and even with An too, even as something as simple with her having a good relationship still with her 
best friend and it's not this really bad pain thing that happened with them. It's just happy and nice. And man, that's really awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They give up a lot in this game. And no. Yeah, so so it's really good. So in the true ending now, the Phantom Thieves manage to unite and they defeat Maruki, who ultimately relinquishes control over reality upon seeing his creation isn't what the group desires. Then they're transported back to their former reality where the team throws the protagonist a big send-off party. Realizing they're being tailed by shadowy government figures, Maruki, who is now a taxi driver, offers the protagonist a lift. The former doctor wishes the protagonist well and drops him off at the train station where all his friends give him one last farewell. Standard persona ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so while the protagonist walks to the train, what kind of pokes out of the protagonist's bag, once again a cat, as he should be. Ray appears as well briefly mentioning that she intends to keep her head up as the protagonist instructed her then he boards the train of Morgana returning to the life they lived before coming to Tokyo at the beginning of Persona 5 Royale and then in a brief post credit scene the train stops at a station where Kechi can faintly be seen walking beside the train before disappearing somehow he's still alive in the real reality i guess all you catchy fans there you go <laughs> uh, he's uh, well, yeah he's fading away so i don't know maybe it's a yeah. memory it's hard to, they leave it ambiguous they do it, it gives a catchy fans hope so they can I don't know. <laughs> I'm not in a catchy fan. So there are catchy fans? I know. <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist sees their reflection in the uh, train window dressed in their phantom thieves garb before greening as the screen cuts to black. So the main theme of this ending is that it's better to embrace their pain, move on, and become the people they want to be, rather than living in a fantasy or a self-deception. Once again, it's a really good one, executed. So Maruki may be delusional, but he's much more nuanced and ultimately sympathetic antagonist. He did believe that he was helping people, and honestly, yeah, he's much more interesting than Yalda Bioth, who just appears out of nowhere at the end of the base game, undercuts the impact of taking down the true antagonist of the game, Shio. Shido. Yeah, like he was at uh what was the trope? What was a giant space flea out of nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> that's not yeah, that's exactly and every persona game has one and it's they're, they're never necessary. <laughs> that is I feel, true. I feel like they're there because it's like, oh it's an SMT game, so we have to have some God at the end. Exactly. But, they aren't really necessary for what the game has built up. Yeah, I'm thinking about it because I think that was even an issue like with the older ones. Yeah, I feel like even with P1, like kind of that the last boss was weird. P2 wasn't bad. Actually, no, Snow Queen mm-hmm. Quest in P1 wasn't bad. Like that was actually hinted at. But the main one, P2 wasn't too bad. Actually, I don't think anyone would have expected uh, Hitler, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody expects Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, actually, yeah. P3, yeah, pretty much. Even though we know that Ryo- Ryuji was, oh no, Ryoji, I think, excuse me, was suspect, we didn't expect it to be like, that giant eye thing at the end. I honestly, I'm gonna say I think P4 actually did 
uh, drop really good, like subtle hints uh, because you did have a lot of buildup with the goddess, like right in the beginning of the game That's when you true. first met. Yeah, when you first met the attendant, and she shook your hand. And if you're playing the controller, it actually vibrated. Then you had the mysterious dream. Um, and then every rainy day and only on rainy days, you can speak with the attendant. And then she's making vague like allusions to the theme of that game before she finally makes her appearance, which her dungeon and everything actually looks similar to the dream. So they actually did a really good job of making it subtle. But if you don't fight her, it's not completely like. So I liked where they did it. And then P5. Yeah. And then P5 went right back to just. Oh, here's a final boss for you guys. <laughs> yeah. And he's like vaguely thematically like relevant, but eh, not so yeah, much. Exactly. And then Maruki was the much better one because from the beginning he was right there and his whole confidant deals with kind of the subject of having to deal with the pain in your life. And he's dropping little hints of, man, it would be amazing if you could get rid of someone's pain in their heart and that kind of thing. And then like before you start actually finding out who he really is. So it's, and then, yeah, he's just a great antagonist in general. I love him. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. the whole third semester, to be honest. It's I think it's great. I think it's phenomenal i think it's easily some of the best some of the best content in the game i'm a sucker for like false reality stories and there's just like a lot of pathos and the stories of both the maruki and kasumi and when you it really makes you go back and think about just everything that the phantom thieves have sacrificed and lost yeah and why they would have a have a reason to live in a fantasy world Exactly. No, I completely agree. I do wish that they did, did something similar to what Nintendo did with the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 prologue, where it was released as both DLC and a standalone product. Because yeah. I did like a number of the additions to the game, but really, I was playing this game for to get to the third trimester, and it would have yeah. been nice if I hadn't had to plow through 100 hours to get there again yeah yeah i agree i definitely think that this would have been amazing as a standalone dlc you actually get to play like a alternate a catchy social confidant you get to play costume and marukis and then you get like the extra little bonuses and then like you said the third semester at the end and yeah and it would have it would have prevented you from having to complete the whole game again to be able to get to that. They do fortunately make it easier to fast forward through certain stuff. So there was, there was a lot of cat cut scenes where I was like, all right, I know like the back of my hand, exactly what's happening in this. So they, they make it pretty easy to just fast forward through that stuff, which I did appreciate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree. So yeah. Do you want to just talk about some final thoughts before we finish up here? Oh yeah. That'd be a good idea. Cool. Yeah, thinking about just Persona 5 in general and how what Persona 5 Royal brings to it, it's, I think that probably people who listened to our Persona 5 season felt like we came down pretty hard on it, but I ultimately, <laughs> I feel like 
it's the sort of thing that you talk about, Elisa, where it's you give a B to a game and everybody's like, why did you hate that game? You know? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, it's like the world building is great. The characters are great. The gameplay is such an improvement on the combat, and the gameplay and the traversal of the palaces. Such an improvement. The previous personas and uh royal just like uh really adds a lot of quality of life and mechanics improvements and i think the palaces in particular are a lot more dynamic and fun i can't wait to see if they what they do in persona 6 if they continue to make them a little more action based not in, not not in the not in terms of the battle which i still want them to be turn based but just in like how you traverse them but yeah, like when it came to the overall story of the base game, replaying it just kind of made me more frustrated about all the narrative al- issues that Alex and I brought up in our uh, semi-infamous Persona 5 season. And uh, just, I don't want to go over it too much. The whole kind of switcheroo and fake out about Joker's death and uh, Saeed's complicity in it just yeah. continues to really rankle me. Like... The twist is just so incredibly convoluted. You basically have an hour of exposition with at certain points, like PowerPoint slides to explain how it happened. And then going through it on a second playthrough, you've got the flash forwards to Sai's uh, interrogation. And so you're like having this, watching this huge buildup to what you know is going to be a dead of a uh, twist. And we've already talked about the, Shido and uh, Yadabath, like, I really think, like, the focus should have kept on Shido as being the clear antagonist. I agree. And the other thing I want to say is just, <sighs> it's a bloated game, and that's part of the point. It's a life simulator. It's going to be a significant investment of time, but there are some pretty re- repetitive character beats, and... Like the pacing of the game, the pacing of the story is like all over the place. You've got like these like story beats and like the stakes are rising, and then all of a sudden things get kind of reset after a minor resolution. Yeah. And they reset for another 10 hours of gameplay. And replaying this, like, it made me think a lot about Dragon Quest XI as being like a good counter example of a game with yeah. a similar length. But and it's also broken out into these character focused vignettes, but it has a really streamlined primary story and it really consistently raises the stakes really well throughout the story. I would like them to take some lessons from that in the next game. But ultimately, this Persona 5 is a great game. Persona 5 Royal is a huge improvement, and I would say that when it really comes down to it it's narrative issues and i i hope that next time they make the story just a little more internally consistent and coherent that those are the things that really frustrate me but i'm a writer of heart so of course that's stuff that's gonna <laughs> drive me up the wall <laughs> but yeah i would say if you haven't played Persona 5, definitely play for Persona 5 Royal. If you're curious about it, play it. It's still definitely one of the best JRPGs of this generation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
As for me, so if you haven't read my review, generally, I think this is actually a very good updated re-release. As Paul said, the quality of life changes, especially gameplay wise are are really great like they fix a lot of um the issues from the base game Uh, they add in a lot of new stuff which is a lot of fun of course the revamped baton pass those new special fusion moves that you get which is so much fun i mean they're so dumb and to look but they're so i love them And then, and then with how you explore each dungeon, like the dungeons themselves, uh, a lot of filler was cut from them. With the new ga- grappling hook, it really does cut down a lot of the filler and it makes exploration way more dynamic. The will seeds are like a little fun side thing to do. You don't have to do it, but you get rewarded very nicely with a really great accessory that gives you access to a spell you would never have access to at that point in the game. Like just special spells that you can't get anywhere else. You have those improvements. I love all the new scenes that were added. There was way more voice work that was added in this game. And and a lot of the brand new little scenes with characters interacting with each other who don't interact normally. And that way it could set up their whole team up attack that they had. And just in general, like little fun things. My biggest thing that I loved is how well they integrated uh, Kasumi and Maruki. Like, oh, yeah. I, yeah, like I remember when I spoke with the, uh, the head of Atlas USA PR and she was telling me how they went in and they had all the voice actors re-record all their lines like they reworked all these scenes just to make sure that Maruki and Kasumi were integrated in it as as seamlessly as possible which they were she was absolutely right when she said that the all the voice actors like just knocked it out of the park which they absolutely did it was they all did a phenomenal job and the two new characters are just really good like i really enjoyed them a lot in general and they surprisingly fit in very well into the into just into the main uh game not mm-hmm. even talking about the third semester so yeah and of course, third semester is phenomenal. As I said before, I absolutely love it. It really does fix that major problem that Yalda Balth caused. So it actually gives you, once again, another proper antagonist who feels seamless and actually has some great agency and drive in the game and really addresses like kind of the main themes of the game itself. I do agree. I think the biggest problem to me is that the pacing it's just still really pain. Like right up until the fifth dungeon, it's still so jam-packed. It's it's just so much going on in that mm. part. And if you're playing it again, it can be hard. And that was my takeaway in the review. That was what made it a little hard to recommend to veterans because I would absolutely recommend it to newcomers. But veterans, it's like, how much did you really enjoy this game? Because if you could absolutely play through Definitely get it. But if you had a hard time, it's that was an improvement. And then the whole thing with Sai and the whole swap. I I think personally, I think what caused the weird dissonance for me is because Joker is supposed to be a POV character for you. Like he's your standard in the way that you're supposed to see everything that happens to him as the right. game develops, which you do normally. But then when you had the swap, it was like he became his own character and he hid things from you because you, the viewer, didn't know what was going on until they revealed a twist, which was for the sole purpose of making it a twist. And I'm like, 
but that's not a POV character then. If you wanted to do this, you should have just made Joker his own character. He was there already. Like, he's pretty distinctive. Yeah. And of course, fix how you delivered it. But I think even just presenting it like differently and not expecting to understand what happens and then you don't, I think that causes a lot of weird like disconnect with it. Like you're just, oh, okay, I guess game. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just, yeah, that's a that's really the nut of it. I think what you just said there is like, it's, it's a betrayal of the POV, basically. Yeah. Been yeah. Established in the game. Exactly. It it really is. So I think that was like the major thing. And you know, and once again, that that stuff just hasn't been improved on. If you're fine with it, I know a lot of people are. If you're fine with these issues or if you really just want to see all the improvements and the mini games, like all the new bonus content, which I really like Kichi Joji, the Thieves Den, the, the, the new little mini games, I'm, all that stuff is great. And I would say this game is definitely a look through, definitely an improvement over base game. So if you have a choice and you don't mind spending a little extra money, yeah, I would definitely say go with P5 Royal. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's even actually coming down in price. Like, I think it's down to 40 bucks or so. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah. Exactly. So you could just wait till then, too, if you really can't, like, afford this game right now. Yeah. Awesome. Should we wrap it up here? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this very special episode about Persona 5 Royal. And, uh, yeah, is there anything that you want to mention or plug while we're wrapping things up? Alisa? Yeah, so uh, a couple things. Work for a website, Dual Shockers, uh, a video game, online video game publication. We're completely independent. So we, you know, it's a great site. It has a lot of news, previews, reviews, editorials, all sorts of things, including, of course, my own review on Persona 5 in both um, in both video and uh, written form. So if you prefer listening to it, my uh, coworker actually reads out my review. So that's an option. Uh, <laughs> I'd also like to plug uh, Black Girl Gamers, which is we're basically like a, a growing group, mostly Twitch streamers. But in general, we're all like content creators in some way, whether we're on my end, whether uh, as like a journalist, developers, streamers, uh, things like that. And we put out some really great content. Uh, you can follow the main Twitter account, which is Black Girl Gamers, which I highly suggest as merch you can buy as well to support us. It's a great group. And so I highly suggest that. And speaking of Twitter, you can also reach me at AJames347 if you want to just talk about P5 Royale, any Shin Megami Tensei Persona game, or just RPGs in general. Like, just hit me up. Yeah, sounds good. I think on my end, all I really want to say is please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you can uh, rate and review stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and then there is also Combo Chain, which is our sister podcast. It's a uh, it's like a book club for uh, different JRPGs, and uh, Elisa is a recurring guest on that. So uh, check out Combo Chain as well. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, No, I think that's about it for me on my end. Cool. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back with you soon. All right. Take care, everyone.